Hello everyone and welcome to Right Brain, episode 42. My name is Jeff Dubo and I'll be one of your humble hosts on this journey through the exploration of the literary arts. And with me is my good friend, Paul Inman. Paul, how are you? I am well. That was a good intro. Was man. it? Um, I, I like it. I feel like I dropped the ball on the sincerity aspect of it. Well... We can clean it up for next time. Though. That was a good one, though. I like. Oh, that. well, good. We'll write that down and never use it again, probably. Mm, no. So, JF, um, uh, I'm excited for you, buddy. You know why? Because I saw on the interwebs that you um, have a new, freshly printed galley of a god in the shed. I do. It and is it, for. It's very exciting. It is freaking exciting. There's a. Uh, I think our, our friend Matt Sobain, who is the author of uh, the Last Machine in the Solar System. Uh, mm -hmm. got to experience for the first time the thrill of holding a physical copy of, uh, of your book uh, in his hands. And I'm kind of going through the same thing, even though these are just galleys, just is, uh, is, is placed firmly in, uh, in quotation marks because it is still very exciting. Like it's, it's cool. It's just, it's just, it's one of those things about publishing if I were to self-publish and end up doing only eBooks that I think I would really miss, like I'm a very tactile individual. So exactly. I, I agree with that. I love, I love picking up my book and, and even still like, um, we're almost a year since, wow, a year. That's crazy. We're almost a year since ageless came out. And, uh, I still like every time I pick it up, I'm like, wow, this is so cool. And speaking of a year, just past this past week, wasn't it? It's been the year anniversary for the Life Engineer. Yeah, and it's it's weird because I did not go through what you're going, where you're like, "Wow, it's been a year." Like I didn't even see it pass because now I'm focused on the second child, so I'm right. ignoring the first child. This is why I don't have kids. <laughs> I would <laughs> neglect. Uh, that's them. a great analogy there. <laughs> No, I even so well. Even if I only had one ahead, child, sir. the moment I bought a new car, like I'm not paying attention to that kid anymore. I have a new car. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'd always be focused on the new thing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a bad person. Well, the funny thing is, is clearly you don't have any kids then, because <laughs> no, no. It's so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, but still, I mean, that's that's pretty cool. You had your first, and you didn't even care, but you had. <laughs> I noticed actually because, I guess. Oh, I know why I noticed because on um, I posted a picture of it and I have this app called Time Hop on my phone where it shows us all the previous stuff. Right, right. And right. I was like, oh right, yeah. I was like, oh right, yeah. JF's book came out. That was cool. So, um, yeah. So uh, we're coming up on the one year anniversary for Ageless pretty pretty soon, a couple months. That'd be exciting. Which is kind of weird. It's kind of weird. I kind of I think I'm gonna do uh, I don't know a giveaway or something. But let's talk about the future, not the past. So, um, A God in the Shed, uh, we talk about it a lot, but it, it kind of occurred to me um, that you really haven't said much about it, uh, about what it is, about what the story is, about um, you know maybe some of the characters or anything like that. You haven't talked much about it. And you know, the, what, what, what uh, prompted me to think about this is because when I, I went on um, Goodreads just to see if it was there. And it was, which I added it to my um, shelf for wanting to read, uh, obviously. And um, thank you. I noticed that there was a synopsis there, and when I read the synopsis, I felt like that—that that was the first time I read that synopsis, which is really? crazy because I know that I read your stuff on on uh, on uh, Ink Shares, and um, I did the the little 
sample reading or whatever. And when I read your your I guess your final synopsis, your finalized synopsis, um, it felt not different, but just a little bit like the, it gave me more. Like there was things that I didn't necessarily know about. It's it's very possible because the the weird thing about like the the, the campaigning, and I see what you're doing, Paul. By the way, just avoiding the subject that we're supposed to talk about, but we'll get to it. <laughs> but anyway. no, no, I'm excited for a god in the shit. <laughs> I am. <laughs> now the, the the thing is, is as you're working on the project, like a, a couple of things kind of get refined. I was extremely fortunate, privileged even to uh, to get to talk to a lot of people. And sort of see the book a bit through the lens of their point of view. And right. that allowed me to sort of say, okay, well, I should probably talk more about this aspect or I should emphasize this point in, in the synopsis. And I mean, we when we were initially trying to sell the option, um, we had to mm -hmm. go through... <clears throat> We had to, we, we we basically we had to create synopsis. We had to refine the synopsis and the pitch. So once we went through this entire process of making sure that what we were doing was good enough to do a sales pitch, might as well reuse that same work to uh, to replace what we have on uh, for 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 the the description of the book uh, for the marketing copy. Well, absolutely, that makes perfect sense. I mean. You know that's that's a great idea. That's that's good use of your hard work. Yeah, I want to actually. It's not read it. my read. idea. <laughs> it's it's no, it's, okay. it's Inkshare's well. marketing department, to to whom I I put myself it's at the mercy. It's still a good idea. Oh no no, it's it's excellent. They've been doing an amazing job. Like there's a couple of things like don't i can't really talk about yet that they've done and i mean you're yeah. aware of them because i mean we share things and oh, they, yeah. they've they've just done an insanely good job of 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 put, pushing this putting this book forward i mean you can see it with other books that they've done recently like they're you can see that the inkshare machine is is getting better oiled and starting to be you know i would say refining all their processes and they're starting to get their groove it's it goes back to one of the things i was saying when we first started on inkshare is like i'm not like i'm excited for what it is right now but back then i was saying i'm more excited for what it's going to be in between three and five years right right and i i totally agree and you know uh they actually inkshares has a a some some authors might see it as a problem, but I see it as a good problem. They kind of have a, a backlog of of books that they're you know trying to put out into the world, which, in my opinion, that's never a bad thing. You know, I mean, that shows that there is interest in the company and interest in getting books out, and people want to buy these things, and I think that's great. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree totally that the uh, future is always is it looks really good right now. I think they're hitting their stride, like you said. Yeah, they're they're the the. They're they're still accelerating, but they're getting to a speed that feels a lot more. Um, I don't want to say competitive, but a, a lot more mm -hmm. in line with what we want them to be. And right, e even yeah. the backlog, I mean, it, it's all synergistic, right? In, in the sense that right now they do have a backlog, which is normal. Um, the delays for book production are actually, even if though it's considered a backlog, it's still about as fast or faster than traditional publishing. So oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, but right. more to the point, like the better the company is going to do, the more staff they're going to get, the faster they're going to be able to handle each book. So it's, it's kind of like the future's built on the past, et cetera. Exactly. It's building yeah. a and business. You know, like, 
And that's not, yeah, it is. And that's not really what we're here to talk about. But no. I agree. Now, let me back up. Like, I want to read your synopsis, okay? Oh. Um, that, that's on well, Goodreads. I, I don't for, for want to read show. my synopsis, but if you want to Okay, do it, but just... the listeners want us want to hear it, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure they do. So, um, by the way, if you're... What's, you're sure they... Okay, whatever. So, um, <laughs> if you are a part of Goodreads, go on and, and add this book to your shelf if, if you're interested. Um, but I want to read it because... It actually kind of brings me to what topic is. All right, so, um, by the way, forgive me. I, I don't know some of, like, the places in that this is set. So if I pronounce it wrong, just correct me. Um, the Village of Saint... Well, fictional places mostly, so okay. go ahead. <laughs> the Village of St. Ferdinand has all the trappings of a quiet life. Farmhouses stretching from one main street, a small police precinct, a few diners and cafes, and a grocery store. Though, if an out-of-towner stopped in, they would notice one unusual thing, a cemetery far too large and much too full for such a small town, lined with the victims of the St. Ferdinand killer, who has eluded police for nearly two decades. It's not until after Inspector Stephen Crowley, is that right, Crowley, Crowley? How, how do you say it? I think it's Crowley. Okay, Crowley, That's what I, that was my second guess. Um, Inspector Stephen Crowley finally catches the killer that the town dis- uh, sorry, let me back up the start of that sentence because it doesn't make sense. It's not until after Inspector Stephen Crowley finally catches the killer um, that the town discovers even darker forces at play. When a dark spirit reveals itself to Venus Mackenzie, one of St. Ferdinand's teenage residents, she learns that this creature's power has a long history with her town and that the serial murders merely scratch the surface of a past burdened by evil secrets. Now... I'm going to tie it into our actual topic in just a second. First of all, I miss reading synopsis um, on the show. If you go back and you listen to the early shows, we did that a lot, actually. I kind of missed that after I read that one. Um, but not enough to bring it back, I don't think. But <laughs> So let me tie it back into our subject. Our subject this week is uh, about characters, okay? So as I was reading that, um, I, got to, I got to notice that uh, there were a couple of characters in there that um, when I did the reading initially uh, were not part of that I guess it would have been considered maybe a prologue at that time, although I'm not sure in the ed- the editing process if that even survived. But um, well, I, actually, if I if I can just speak up on that sure. subject, the the reason why characters are named is because as I was going along, like uh, essentially, uh, at some point when you start production with a book, for those who haven't gone through that process with ink shares, you are asked for information, right. obviously before you even send in your manuscript. And some of that information is you need to sort of send them, uh, there's a marketing brief and part of that is writing, sending in your synopsis. Mm -hmm. Now, I could have just sent in, like just copied and pasted what I already had on the webpage, but one of the thing that's kind of part of my process is that usually whenever I iterate, through um through a process like whenever I have I hit a milestone I tend to revise so if someone's asking me oh can you send me uh, your synopsis I tend to reread it and check if I can improve it right. and between when I first submitted the campaign and when I was ready to publish I had learned a few tricks about writing proper log lines and synopsises and pitches and one of the things was naming some of the key characters. That's why I sort of inserted that information into the synopsis. And very quickly, the, the, the trick isn't just to say, oh, let's attach names that people can recognize and blah, blah, blah. There's, there is that marketing aspect. But another thing that's kind of important, when you start naming characters and what their roles are 
in a short synopsis, like a, a, a short version of your story, it also forces you to sort of give a distilled version of what they are. And that is that becomes very important when you later need to talk about the characters. Right. Definitely. Absolutely. I it's totally a good agree. exercise. It is. It really is. And, you know, I, I totally agree with you. Like when I'm ready to do that again, I, I have that experience now from um, the publishing uh, Ageless, you know, so that is definitely um, something that everybody listening should always do uh, about, like what you said, about revising. Like if somebody asks you for uh, your synopsis or wants you to kind of just regurgitate stuff, you know, really like think about it and make it better, you know. Every time you should be working to make it better. So, But anyway, let me get back to the characters. That's the aspect that I, I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah, oh yeah, dear listeners, we're talking about characters today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the the thing that kind of caught me off guard, what I didn't really know before, or didn't uh, necessarily remember, because it's been, I don't know, how long ago did you post it? When you first posted it, a year and a half? Oh, so, yeah, it's yeah, a so year and long a half. ago. So it's been a while back. But I don't think I remembered that it was... Um, that uh, you had it based on, um, uh, like a a mystery or a murder mystery. I mean, not necessarily murder mystery, but like a uh, what's the word I'm trying to like a serial killer or something. I don't remember that aspect, but that could just be my faulty memory because I am older now. So, but uh, <laughs> I thought that was I thought that was interesting, and I was like, hmm, that's pretty neat, and that's a, a neat way to kind of introduce, especially in your synopsis here. The way it, it definitely is worded in the synopsis is a neat way to kind of hook people i think but uh the the point that i was getting to is when you come up with that sort of plan for any of the characters like that's kind of what we're going to talk about like how how do characters develop in for each of us obviously you know we can't speak for anybody else but uh so i don't know we don't have to use a god in the shed we could use um the life engineered or anything else that you've ever written it doesn't matter i'm going to use ageless specifically because that's what i have worked on the most I'm probably going to bounce back and forth between uh, between whatever character suits the example I need to make. Like, right, exactly. Adjust it to the point. Yeah. But the the idea is just to, to sort of dig in into how Paul and I sort of develop and refine characters and any other tricks that we may know and not necessarily have used yet as kind of a starting point for anybody that's curious, not necessarily... Um, to emulate what we do because I, I think every writer kind of has his own thing, but sort of have have uh, benchmarks and comp- points of comparison. Like people yeah. say, okay, I create my characters this way. Those two morons uh, create their characters that way. How does that compare? It's always, it's always interesting to look at how other people do their art. Even if you don't do it the same way, there's, there's a little something to learn from it. That's why I read articles about how other artists or other writers do their thing. Right, and just um, just a little uh, FYI, we didn't discuss this at all previous to to like we didn't do this oh, in our, gonna in be our clear. pre-show. Or <laughs> so yeah, it's going to be clear. But I, I think the listeners are pretty much on uh, whoever's <laughs> unless you're new listening to Right Brain, you know that we don't have much pre- preparation. I mean, we we base a lot on our own experiences, and when we have interviews, we write questions for our for our guests. But otherwise, this is kind of off the cuff. Well, uh, well so, I don't mean that necessarily. I'm just saying that we didn't compare notes so we could you know say you know bounce off of each other this is going to be i don't know how you well, do this you don't know how i do this you know what i'm saying yeah but so. it's more it's more it's more fun to for me to discover that's right um, that's discover right. how you do that so that's which is an interesting question because here's the thing um 
Age, ageless has obviously you've got uh, Alessandra, I think yeah. is yeah. the way you pronounce mm -hmm. her name. Yeah, Alessandra is the main character, and the book focuses very strongly on her. Right. But you still have uh, some side characters like uh, like Glenn, I think, who are strong enough to sort of, in your case, deserve their sequel, their spinoff. Right. Um, Eugene is actually who you're Eugene. Talking. I don't yeah, know Eugene. why I say Glenn. I, well, I called him Gene. Gene for half of the half of. The oh, okay. Yeah, and I'm dumb with names, so uh, no, it's okay. No go. big deal. It's no big deal. But um, uh, well, hey, I don't have a hard time with all the robot names. I mean, from no, mythology, no. <laughs> none of those are hard to say at all. So. Mytho <laughs> if it was just from mythology, it's not a big deal because they can be from Greek mythology, and we're all comfortable with those. <laughs> it's yeah, right. All the other ones. Mm -hmm. The Hawaiian mythology, which, by the way, yeah. si side note, I have a girl in my in my class, like a young a young girl in eighth grade. Um, I'm mm -hmm. I for those of you who have no clue, I teach middle school um, as the day job, and um, she's um, she's Hawaiian of Hawaiian descent. So we're doing a song. I, I'm a chorus teacher, by the way. We're doing a song from Lilo and Stitch. Okay, because um, remember, amazing these are, movie. These are thirteen. Such year a good movie. Um, I don't care. I do that uh, well, as an the, adult. This song is a fun song, but it has a lot of Hawaiian in it. And so what I did is I asked her um, to work with her family to help with the pronunciation of the Hawaiian. And she's actually, um, she could help me, JF, This she could help me find out how to actually pronounce those those names if you want. But that's up to you. I'll leave that uh, up to you. <laughs> well, now I'm, 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 I'm going to finish listening to the uh, Amy Landon uh, narrated version of The Life Engineered, and I'm going to stick to what she, uh, <laughs> there you she go. sussed out. <laughs> that's good. Just to keep it consistent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, um, for, for me, I mean, I don't know, like, uh, I have, I, I kind of see Ageless as having like a triple main character, like three main characters. Although I guess technically two of them are really like secondary characters, but in, in my mind, they're pretty big up there or pretty high up there. So I, I don't know. I, I have a lot of, I had a hard time when we started first discussing that this was going to be what we're, what we're doing this week because, it's difficult for me to 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 kind of find how the characters develop because I'm not one to sit down and just say, okay, here's an archetype. Let me start with that and branch off and make this a real person. I have to work the story in order for my characters to kind of become something most of the time, not always, but most of the time. Um, so I knew that Alessandra wanted to be, I mean, uh, Alessandra was going to be uh, a young girl who had a special power, which, uh, spoiler spoiler alert, it's uh, she ages really slowly, um, almost to the point of being ageless, okay? So uh, I, I wanted her to... Spoilers! I know, right? I know. I wanted her to be human, though, more than anything else. Like, when I was writing this character, uh, sometimes people say things like, um. Uh, I'm trying to figure out how to put it politely. Well, let, they say let, things let me like, sort of. Go ahead. Let, 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 let me sort of quiz you to make it easier. All on right. All right I'm. I'm. I mean, no. To, to be honest, like I'm doing it kind of on purpose to put you on the spot because that amuses me. <laughs> Thanks. But the um, <laughs> we all knew what this was. Good the, for um, listening. <laughs> no, but it's here's the thing. Like, do you? For example, like Alessandra is a very real character. Is she, um, is she someone that you sort of gathered inspiration? Is she based on someone that you know? 
No, actually, no. I do have some characters that are, but that one, she is not. And I'll tell you, like, I really worked really hard, and being, being you know, a male and she's a female, I really worked really hard to make her seem real. Because that's what I was going to say. Sometimes people, and I was trying to put it politely, but sometimes people say, you know, you don't know how to write women to males, you know? And, yeah, like, yeah. I don't want to, I didn't, I didn't intend to write a woman. It just happened to be that character was female. Does that make sense? Um, I wanted to write a person, so I tried to approach I mean, it from it, the, the... I was going to say, it doesn't make sense, but it's something I hear a lot. But Yes, you understand, right? Um, yeah, no, no, I get it. Uh, I, I didn't want to write a, a girl. You know, I didn't want to be like, oh, this is a girl. I wanted to write a person. So when she came into conflicts along the way through the story, I, I sat down and I really thought out how would I react, how would anyone react what kind of reactions could happen and a lot of times i came up with i tried to be as real as possible as far as emotional reactions like i wasn't like oh uh sometimes you have these these uh caricatures of of females who are like um xena or something you know what i mean you know you, you know xena right yeah uh, yeah xena warrior princess right. played by uh, lucy lawless who also played uh, i think it number five in Ballstar galactica yeah I, I you do you have heard of her good so um it's passing <laughs> yeah these caricatures of these strong women strong quote unquote for those of you that um are listening um you know where they just have these kind of like uh brutish male kind of attributes i didn't want to i didn't want to make a character like that um now i mean if it if it was necessary to a scene or a story then she was strong but that doesn't mean that she was ridiculous you know what i mean does that make sense it's hard to explain no, absolutely really. it's 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 funny because i had this very discussion with someone yesterday uh over coffee and this is this is something that's at that's i mean i mean if you, uh, when you do get to reading Gone to Shed, I consider most of the female characters in that book to be strong women, and none of them get into a fist fight. And I agree. Um, there's this, yeah, it's because there's. Well, I haven't there read it, but I'm saying I agree with I, that sentiment. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I understand. Like basically, right now, there's this 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 general trope that we see, especially in movies, where right. strong woman is essentially a female body with kung fu. And anger issues, and that's that's supposed to be strength. Now, I don't. I'm not saying we shouldn't have women that can fight. That's cool. But the problem is that that is the only representation of strength that we see right now, and it it got boring fast. And you know, it was like really fun when we saw it in the Matrix the first time, but after that, it went downhill super quick. Oh, she's violent. I guess that means she's strong. But I don't even think the Matrix is a, is a good example because yes, she was violent for the purpose of being violent, but it wasn't like she was. I felt like she was a no, deeper to, to character. The, you know, to the credit of the character, she was much deeper than your average kung fu Joss Whedon female <laughs> character. She, yeah. I mean, she, the character of Trinity is actually smart and savvy, yeah, exactly. and they're they're it's not cool like i don't want to explore like the, the, the movie tropes too bad too bad yeah, no, her, no. her complete arc over the trilogy is a bit of a letdown but in mm -hmm. her arc in the first movie is actually very cool and that's what um, made her really cool as a character it wasn't the the kung fu was not exploring we're not dissecting the movie Paul. no we're bring not. it back to ageless so <laughs> you didn't want you wanted to write a, you wanted to as 
a uh, creeping up on middle age, father of one, married man <laughs> with a, a humdrum, boring teaching career from the Carolinas of all things, you wanted to be able to write a believable female character that came off as strong and non-stereotypical. How did you go about that? Well, when you put it that way, I sound weird, okay? <laughs> no. No, I'm trying to make you sound boring. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I don't I don't want to sound boring, but I guess thank you. Anyway, so I think that I I feel like that overall, I think I pulled that off. However, there are times when I go back and look at it that I feel like that maybe I could have made the character a little bit more relatable. Although I I don't it's it's difficult to look at your own work and really dissect it. I mean, it's hard because oh, it it's is so difficult. it's your own work and it's really hard to like separate that from um like if you read somebody else's work it's just you reading for enjoyment or, you know, for whatever reason that you like to read. If it's not enjoyment, I don't, I don't, you're, you're I guess you're weird or something. I don't know. But uh, when you read your own work, it's really difficult to make that separ- separation, or at least it is for me. I mean, you know, and you definitely. No, no, know. it makes sense. But it still, it still brings me back to my original question. What are the steps that you took to to try to get as close as possible to what your goal was with the character and where, where do you feel that you failed? Where do you feel that you succeeded and why? Like what's your postmortem on this, Paul? <laughs> this is fun. I'm just grilling my co-host. Oh, just wait. It'll be your turn in a few minutes. So um, I have no doubt. <laughs> so uh, I think, um, as I said, my, my goal was just to make her as human as possible because she is sort of like, I don't know. I don't I, don't want to use the term superhuman, but I guess I, I have to. So um, she is. She's she's almost immortal. You can use superhuman. It's I know. fine. I know. That wasn't the goal though. But anyway, um, it wasn't like I sat down to write a superhero story, is what I'm trying to say. But uh, she, um, I feel like that. I feel like I did I did her justice as as best I could. But I can tell you that. Uh, my failings came in with the fact of well, I, I kind of already said this. Like, I some people say that it's she they can't relate to her, you know. And I find that troubling because I mean that's the the main character of the story. But I also understand it's, to a point. There, there's there's a lot to unpackage there because and, and maybe this is something you need to explore further, especially as you're working into timeless. Right. The and this is going to be a problem. Like, okay, so you want to create a female character. And we're not talking specifically about female characters, although it, <laughs> both of us wrote books with main characters that are female. Weirdly. Yes, we did. Um, That's but strange. The, the thing is, if you look at your character saying, oh, I have trouble. Um, here's the thing. And this this has to do with characters. The problem is not, and you, you'd have to go back. I'd have to go back and reread Ageless. It's been a almost a year since i've read it oh my god it's been probably it has been longer. a year it's probably it's been, been longer. it's been longer than a year because I, I read before it was out yeah um but the thing is the character needs to um be relatable in context right if you look at a character like alessandra she's immortal she was a child during world war ii unless you're a world war ii war veteran and pow yourself and a woman on top of it, you shouldn't be able to completely relate to her. That's normal. 
but it's your job as the author to create the context mm -hmm. to build the structure around the character so that the pieces that aren't relatable to normal people because she's not living a normal experience because spoilers guys people living normal experiences don't become main characters in books yes they're boring yes <laughs> um but so that basically the reader can go okay i can relate to this experience and this weird thing about having been genetically experimented on i can't relate to that but the author gave me the tools so i can understand the character and build this sort of artificial relation with it right and and just for clarification here there's not been very many one or two people that have said that most people have said the opposite of that i think i say most more often than not most people um the people have said that they have liked uh the character and did relate to the character now Nice. Now, here's the thing. So, uh, now we're going to talk about the other hand, okay? Because I feel like I did what you said, JF. I feel like, me personally, I feel like I gave them the tools that they need. And I feel like that I, I made her emotionally relatable. Because I know that relating to the time period... paused on me. I paused on you? Paul. Can you hear me? Yes, now I can. I don't know why it just stopped for a second. Okay, so as I was saying, I think I made the character relatable um emotionally because i know that relating to the time period wasn't going to work for everyone and i know that relating to um the genetic experimentation for example was going to be difficult to re relate with but i tried to make her relatable by giving her emotional grounding with another character which actually happens to be a female which turned out to be a mother figure to her because she never really had much of a family because she was taken from her family um at, you know when she was really really baby right so um hmm. and uh so i gave her someone to latch on like that because most everyone has had a mother and most everyone uh loves their mother etc cetera, etc cetera, right so um and yeah so i feel like that i succeeded on a lot of things i feel like there's a couple things that maybe could be better like but that again that's my own kind of self-consciousness kind of coming through you know but I think, yeah, but the, the, the lesson, what I'm sussing out, like what, what I almost expected you to say, and I'm kind of surprised that you didn't, is is that you um, you sort of consulted with, say, like, I don't know, your wife or your daughter or someone or another woman in, in your life to get a sense of what the character would be like. It doesn't sound like you did that. but I instead, actually did not. Which, which I, I don't know if that's a failing or not. Like, I'm, I don't either because, again, I was trying to make a, a person – not necessarily yeah, no, and, and a, a, a woman. We're, we're, but no, I mean, I understand. Keeping in what mind that we're not critiquing Ageless. Oh, right I know. Now. That, we're I just know. using it as an example. But the what what I am getting out of the discussion with you is the idea, this whole idea of like the 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 like for a character that is might be more difficult to understand and relate to, having an anchor character is very interesting because this is something that you see a lot in movies and stories where you'll have that like the whole idea of the sidekick right definitely. in a lot of situation the whole point of that is having this normal person jimmy olsen is there to be the every nerd that watches superman in his world but from the human perspective right so i actually had another character who was male that was also kind of the the everyman if you want to say um, which his name was Gray, and he was just, he's just kind of like slacker generation guy is where he starts out. In fact, it would be argued that uh, 
either Gray, which is that that character, or the person who's apprehending Alice throughout the book would be the dynamic character because they change the most. Alice herself, even though she lived a long time, she didn't do a whole lot of changing. I know that doesn't mean she didn't mm-hmm. change, but I mean, like, her motivations were the same. She wanted to live and wanted to be free and didn't want to be captured and didn't want to be experimented on anymore, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I'm saying? So um, the uh, the male characters be- ended up becoming the dynamic characters, so much, in fact, that one of my one of my um, early readers, beta readers, was asked me who this, who I thought the story was about because... Alice wasn't as dynamic as most main characters. Usually there's a point where the main character has a grows and goes through major changes, you know, but uh, she didn't necessarily do that. And I, I mean, that's just what the story was for me. I don't know why not. I have no idea, you know, um, I don't know. So uh, sticking with characters, JF, let's talk about uh, let's let's stop drilling me for a little bit because <laughs> I feel I feel abused. I'm just kidding. So no, it's fine. I, I I wanted to get an idea of what you had in mind, and and you seem to have gone very uh very native on it, like very going with your instincts more more than anything, and just writing what felt right. Which, like right. I said, like I don't feel is necessarily wrong, but it's one way of approaching things. Right. Well, since this is my first experience, that was my first experience in writing something long form like that. Um, I mm-hmm. just I I didn't have a lot of. Uh, I didn't have a lot of outside input um, because I didn't know what to do necessarily. Like when we, when I wrote my short story for um, the now defunct Too Many Controllers, right? Uh, I did mm-hmm. a lot more hands-on and talking to people research. I didn't do that so much for Ageless because I mean I don't know why I just didn't. So it's yeah. Fine. All right. So now let's jump into one of your main characters or one of your characters, like. How how is it that uh, like in the life of JF what what how does it work how does it work like you're sitting down tonight after we get done and you're you're starting something what do you do? Um, I get drunk to forget all my problems and emotional issues. Okay, when you sober. Oh, you mean up. if I would? Oh, you mean if I were to write? <laughs> yeah, if you were um, to write. <laughs> if I if uh, if I were to write, which unfortunately I don't get to do tonight. Um, I wish I did, but soon soon I'll get back on the horse. Um, the, the way, the way I approach main characters, first of all, I do, I never really inspire uh, myself from real life people. That's just, it's just not something I do because, um, I can say it feels like I would be creating a, an uninflexible box for myself. Right. Like, let's say I were to create a character. One of my main characters is based on Paul Inman. Then the Paul Inman template lacks the level of flexibility that I need to mold the character to the story. Because one of the things that's interesting about writing to me is that most of the times the way I create stories, like I'll have an idea for story and we've talked about how I plot and how, how I do my structures. But the idea, the fun of writing comes from basically having this story, having this outline, having these characters and, and with personalities and arcs and goals and, and, and wishes and dreams and, and, and failings and basically colliding these characters amongst themselves and with the story to see what the results are. Just tossing them at each other to see what's going to happen. 
And for that, I need the characters to be able to change because once I've done a first draft, midway through a first draft sometimes, I'll discover something new about the character, not because the character is all magical and weird, oh, and you know, characters come alive, but it's just the mathematics of it. If I will know only so much about how what the parameters I've set for the characters. Like I always know the parameters of a character. This is how my character thinks. This is their history up to when the story starts. But once the story starts, how these parameters are affected by the story, how it changes them, that is unpredictable, which is the fun part because it allows me to, 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 to deal with these variables as I go along. But if I were to have, say, Paul Inman, and then Paul Inman is in a situation that may change Paul Inman, I wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable. So I really avoid basing myself on anybody that I know or any any stereotypical character too much because I feel like it's limiting. Um, I will borrow... I agree. I agree with that. I will, I'll borrow eccentricities, uh, mm -hmm. maybe physical looks, like someone who like always wears a, the same freaking scarf or whatever. Like I'll, I'll borrow little visual details like that just to flesh out characters. But these are usually things that are absolutely interchangeable and not, not extremely important to the story or the character itself. They're just decorations on the tree, if you will. Yeah. As for how I come up with the characters, usually... I'll have an idea of what I want my storyline to be. Uh -huh. And the storyline is only fun as insofar as how it's going to affect people. Um, maybe that's maybe that's just an, an artifact that I like to read and write character-oriented stories. Mm -hmm. I like when people are very deeply involved in, in events. So... To me, the idea of like, oh, well, there's this, uh, let's, let's say we take the life engineered, the idea that there's, there's this risk of a robot civil war in a galaxy far in the future is only fun and only interesting, not necessarily for the technology that's going to be involved or the big battle plans or whatever, or the politics. What's interesting is how does it affect the key players? What does it change in their lives? Which for a book like The Life Engineered, where each of these lives is the lives of robots and based creatures with very alien ways of thinking, was a lot of fun to explore. But it's... So, so it's basically the, 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 the idea is I have a personality template that has a goal. I have an idea, generally speaking, of what I want the arc and evolution of the character to be. And then I'll build a character around that. So if, if the, the theme I want to explore is, say, a redemption story, to go again with something I, I, was, uh, I was chatting with someone yesterday about, if I was talking about a redemption story, well, I need, I need a sin. Like, I need the, the, the character to have his fall from grace. And I need that fall from grace to have a motivation. And I sort of work my way backwards from the character's story to create the elements that make that character's story plausible that have it make sense um just slight spoilers for the life engineered um a lot of the motivations for the main character she wants to save the galaxy is the entire everything about the character is about saving and the, the reason for that is discovered very early on is that she is she's inherently a caretaker um in her quote-unquote human 
life. She she was a single mother and a cop. Like everything about her is that. So it, it having that driving motivation, these choices weren't arbitrary. I didn't say, oh, I want to write about a woman cop that becomes a robot in the future. More likely, more to the point, I said, I need to have this character have clear intelligent believable motivation of why she is so willing to risk what is in the life engineered an amazing life in order to save people it needs to be very deeply ingrained into her character and i worked backwards from there and that's essentially what you see in most of the characters i create because to me the the, the, the character arc is the most precious thing in the book and everything should be built to sort of support that does that make sense? It makes all kinds of sense. And as you're telling me, I'm going, man, I'm doing it wrong. But there is no, not a wrong, necessarily. There's there's not a wrong. There's, but I am learning. It. How about that? I'm learning from you, JF, that there are things that I could try to uh, maybe um, make things work differently. Uh, with that said, like I, I don't think any of my characters are bad. No, no, not, again, like this is not we're not we're not putting Ageless on trial, Paul. Yeah, I understand, but sometimes it feels Damn, buddy, you're insecure. Feels that not way. Not that I know anything about this. No, yeah. I was asking because I'm curious about your process. Oh, no, no, I know. Because the, the whole the whole thing is that every the the way I see, especially when it comes to characters because characters are so important to me in my process, um the way I see how other people do things is basically like a toolbox. I want to have as many tools as possible. Some tools I may never have. I mean, sorry, I may never use. Like, right. but I have them. I know they're there, and I know I know they they exist. I know their purpose, and that somehow enriches the toolbox. And whether I, I end up using them or not. So that's what makes this podcast, in my opinion, a good podcast to listen to if you're a writer, because you get. Uh, not that our opinions or our, our um, process is d better or anything, but you get something else that you could p try. And that's what I like about doing the podcast with JF because we uh, fundamentally, we do things a different way. And, you know, I could try what he he does he could try what i does uh does what i do excuse me <laughs> i write i write <laughs> words <laughs> uh, yeah i word good yeah i word good so um uh and i'm i'm all off track now so anyway but uh you know here's the thing it I was really we saying that be explore, uh, because, because because we do things fundamentally differently we can learn from each other yeah we can learn from each other and I like about and this. you know the thing that I would like to see more from you out there as listeners is like a little bit more interaction, interaction, like through our uh, Twitter or, you know, just emailing us or, or just getting with us because really I want to learn from not just JF, no offense, JF, but I want to learn from everybody. No, no, no. You should, you should definitely learn from as many people that aren't me as possible. Yeah. So uh, that's just wisdom. Ultimately during ageless, it was really exploratory for me as as far as creating characters and i think that's why when we first started talking about doing this show about characters i was like man i don't i don't really know let me think about it for a while so uh i think that ultimately i learned a lot but i feel like that my characters are uh are relatable i really do uh, some people disagree, and that's okay. They're allowed to disagree as long as they don't disagree to my face, because I cry easily, JF. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's that's what our pre-show is all about. I know, me and our post-show. <laughs> so our entire relationship, really. 
Yeah, and um, I've been working on uh, the sequel to Ageless, um, which is tentatively called Timeless, although JF is petitioning to get the name changed. I'm uh, petitioning hard because there are currently not many. one, but two, at least two different franchises that use the, word, the, 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 the name Timeless. You're I, essentially... And you're... you're you're making sure you're going to be a drop in an ocean if you use it. You know, I, I understand that, but I, it's really difficult. I went, I could go the route of dropping the LES um, suffix, but LESS suffix, but I kind of want the series to have that because there's a third book and it will be something less too. I'm not going to reveal that here, but, and, and, and you know, the really sad thing is, is like, <laughs> I was at a bookstore the other day, actually, um, trying to get them to pick up ageless and uh actually it was successful they got they're getting a couple of copies so um i mm. saw another book that was called the title that i want my third book to be and i was like man come on you know so uh but, but that one's thing, now like, it's, done too so i i i think and we're, we're moving way away from that from off topic but you it is more important that your book gets noticed for its content the content of your book is more important than right. the title so even if you have to bastardize your naming convention to make sure that more people pick up the book and the content gets appreciated more i think your title needs to change i don't disagree but let me bring it back i started talking about that. i've been working on that and i've been working with the characters some new characters and um, basically it is the story of a side character from Ageless. It is the, uh, I, I don't want to say continuation because that's not accurate, but it is the, I don't know. It's almost like a, I can't think of any word except for side quill because it kind of happens congruent. So I don't know what to say, but, um, it, it's about the life of this, uh, secondary character from Ageless. His name is Eugene and you get to find out, a lot about him because you kind of in ageless you get when he was a little kid and you get when he was old so it's kind of in the middle so you're going to get that story about what's in the middle what happens in between and um i can tell you i developed that character because i i can i, I know a little bit more about this character i guess my development um process i developed this character because i was writing ageless and i was writing and writing and i got to basically what um in the final book is around page 100 or something like that and I finished uh, a scene where there was, for lack of a better term, an information dump. Although I don't, I don't consider it that, but that's what it ends up being. I guess feels like uh, she learns a lot about herself from someone else that she didn't know before. Um, and when I got to the end of that chapter, I was kind of like, "Hmm, where do I go from here?" And I know I wanted to explore. Uh, uh, I wanted to explore what happened to her in when she was a, a really little kid and like the testing and things like that but I couldn't bring myself to do that to a little girl because I am a parent of a little girl and I couldn't bring myself to be so evil to a, a little girl so I made it a boy and I developed a new character from there so I, I don't know I apparently a boy I can you know do genetic experimentation on you know i have no problem torturing children oh man <laughs> thanks for sharing jf uh so enjoy i got in the shed and <laughs> <laughs> morally um I, I i developed this character because i wanted to show the reader like the hardships that the kids went through in this um 
this underground lab where they were just trying to genetically alter humans or whatever, you know, for the not the, the um, Germans and the Nazis in World War Two. So the Germans and the Nazis could win. Right. That was their whole big deal. And I kind of based that in reality, by the way. Um, so, uh, if you don't know, but I'm sure you do. Uh, so the, uh, <laughs> what's that supposed to mean? Uh, well, I mean, like they were there, the research that I did, you know, you find out that they were doing experiments and stuff. Mr. Dr. Joseph Mangala's yes, research definitely. and all that. And I'm, I'm well aware. So anyway, um, I wanted to give a character, I wanted to give the readers, uh, a little, a little bit of what happened. And then he turned out to be a really interesting character, I thought. So I was like, hmm, well, there's more story um, out there for him. So that's what uh, I'm basing Timeless on, which, as I said, we're going to see some some returning characters just because of the way the, the book works. You know, it's set during the same time period as the other book. So I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? So it's set over a certain amount of years that we've already covered in Ageless. So that's why I'm hesitating to say sequel and prequel. And I don't know. I have no idea. But um, I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters either. It's just a story. It's a story. So uh, basically what we've learned here, JF, is that I have no idea how to make characters and you have a process. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've obviously succeeded making characters. I mean, the characters in Ageless are, are very compelling. Um, that you don't necessarily have a technique doesn't mean you can't add a technique oh, to yeah. what you're doing. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I've definitely there's definitely been an evolution in how I create characters and how I deal with them. Like what I described earlier is not how I started writing books. It's how I'm writing books currently and how I'm exploring these these how I'm exploring characters for the projects I'm working on right now. But it's not. It's 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 going to it's probably going to evolve further as I learn more and I discover new tricks and I find other ways of making of of working these characters into stories. Right. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a never ending, never ending, changing thing. Like it's it's always, as far as I'm concerned, it's always developing, always growing. At least right now for me, maybe I'll mm-hmm. I'll fall into a pattern or something, but uh, I don't I don't know. And- and and one of the things like I, I can I can what I described was like I gave the example of uh, Life Engineered because that's the book that's out right now. But I can say Life Engineered is written the first person perspective of the main character and the side characters, although they have their own motivations, their, their motivations are usually made fairly clear and simple to understand. They're not as deeply explored as the main characters, obviously, for those reasons. Uh, God in the Shed has more than one main character in a way it really revolves around these four different people and they each have their arc and it used to be that there was maybe eight characters that had the same level of importance and through editing we kind of weeded it down and reduced it to four so to keep it more simple but because of that it adds a layer of complexity. It adds that instead of just working back this one character's arc and motivation, it's working back several characters' arcs and motivation, how they interact, because the fun of having multiple characters that have that level of importance in the narrative is not to, to have these four parallel arcs that don't touch each other. They have to crisscross. It's at these moments where they hit each other, where there's these these collision of character developments that you you get some real gold i find and that makes that adds this an, another layer of complexity to it 
So that's something I had to sort of learn to deal with. And that was an experience that, to be honest, I'm going to have to repeat for the sequel of A God in the Shed. And I'm afraid a bit it's (laughs) because i need to do it really well for a sequel and i need to do it like the first book is kind of forgiving because i can manipulate the past as much as i want but now the past is the first book so the second book needs to build on that and i can't go back and say oh well no this doesn't work for what i'm trying to do anymore so no retconning is what you're saying yeah, exactly. I can't I can't retcon from the first book, or if I do, it's going to be clumsy and stupid. We've all seen it in several books. We know how terrible that is. So I'm going to, and I think that's one reason, because Paul says he's not equipped to talk about the subject, but he's the one who says we should talk about characters. So well, I, I want to talk about that. Because I, I find yeah, but, it challenging. And when we talk it out like this on the podcast, it helps mm-hmm. me grow, really. It helps me grow. Well, that's the reason why I jumped all over it is because I know that I'm looking down the barrel of a big challenge mm-hmm. as far as how I'm going to be working with characters. Because I am starting with the characters from A God in the Shed. Some of them are going to become more background characters and some of them are going to, there's going to be some new main characters. So the cast kind of gets massaged and changed a bit. And I have to deal with all of that. And I feel that I'm probably going to have to draw upon some new tools. I'm going to have to go to that toolbox and see what's available and see if I'm missing anything. And if I am, look for it, hunt it down, find it and learn how to use it. So that's why when you said, hey, let's talk about character. I'm like, well, hell yeah, let's talk about characters because (laughs) it's about to go down. Yeah. So, um, you know, a few minutes ago, you actually hit the nail on the head. You articulated in a way I could not. Um, when you said the character, uh, you have like four, in God has said, you have basically four character arcs that have to crisscross, and that's when the things happen. Now, in Ageless, like I mentioned early on, um, I felt like there were three main characters, um, although some would just say Alessandra is the main character, but I, f- I felt like there were three main characters, and I had different arcs for all three of those characters, and just like you said, uh, the motivations and when the arcs crossed are where you really got the magic, and um, uh, without giving away too much, the uh, what I would... There's not really a villain in the story, but what I would consider, consider closest to the villain is... Um, uh, the person um, who is constantly, or the people, the group of people who are constantly chasing Alessandra. And you know what? I, I did my best to make them as human as possible, too. So it's not like black and white, villain, good guy. It's like uh, I wanted to make them complex, and I wanted to make them uh, uh, relatable. Like you could understand it when you're reading the book. Okay, I understand why this person feels this way because of xyz you know what i mean so i mean i think that ultimately for what i was attempting to do uh i think i succeeded ultimately i think that uh i like the fact that the that there's not um that there's a little bit of ambiguity to the characters i like that well i Actually, that is something I would love to revisit the subject. Maybe that's what we should do next episode okay. because I want to go deeper, not necessarily just into the methods that we use to create characters, but what we think are the 
the, 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 the important things, the ingredients to making good characters. And we haven't touched on that. And I feel that it's something that's kind of important. Yeah, so I do too. we should... I, I see you scrambling to find somewhere to take a note that we don't forget. I don't know why I'm doing that, because we can type right here in our recorder. <laughs> exactly. So, I know. anyway, so, no, I really want to delve back into the subject, because I feel like we only just scratched the surface, and there is a lot to explore about characters. I mean, like I said, characters are the backbone of any of the stories that I write, or at least I try to make them. Um, so... I, I, I don't think we can we we've covered oh yeah we're getting long a fraction too. of what we need to yeah we're getting no. on the long end so, and uh, you're right there's so much more that we can cover that uh, maybe we'll make this a two parter episode and you know we'll continue it next next week so yeah, JF that's what I'm voting for where can people buy a God yeah. in the Shed they can go on Amazon or pre order to pre order a copy um, if they it comes out on June fifteenth ish. So if you go on Amazon.com or your regional Amazon store, you can pre-order there. If you would rather to encourage a small bookstore, it's distributed through Ingram, so they can probably order it for you. You can go to Barnes & Noble and order it for there. All you need to do is just have them look for a god in the shed in their system, and they should find it. Yep, and you can... If they don't, Yeah, and you can already pick up um, A Life Engineered, which has now had its year anniversary. Yes, it's yearly yeah, book and birthday. You, you can... <laughs> Yeah, and you can grab uh, you can grab Ageless before his book birthday, which is coming up very shortly. Yes, it is. Um, so uh, you can follow Right Brain on Twitter if you'd like to, uh, you know, tweet us and tell us how your character development stuff happens. Maybe give us a little insight for our continuation episode. Um, it's at Right Brain underscore. That is Right Brain, um, as in writing something down. W R I T B R A I N underscore. And um, JF and I both have a Twitter as well. If you want to follow us, mine is at Paul Inman, S-C, P-A-U-L-I-N-M-A-N-S-C. And mine is at JF Dubois, J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U. And you could probably Google either one of us if you want to check our website. I'm sure it'll be up there somewhere near the top, possibly. And funny pictures of both of us, I'm sure. Ridiculous pictures. Oh, yeah, probably. (laughs) Um, so yeah, we appreciate you listening in as always. And I think that's going to wrap us up for episode 42. JF, what do you think? Yeah. And we'll, we'll probably talk about characters again in episode 43. Although we do have other things down the pipe as far as guests are concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, so just keep listening. (laughs) 